Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season seven, episode three. We are talking today to Pastor VJ Krishnan. If you don't know him yet, I think you're really going to enjoy his insights, seeing some things in a fresh way. And he's a very... Um, shepherding kind of pastor. And I know not all lead pastors uh, have that kind of a gift. So I think you're going to really lean into this and learn something. So VJ is coming on the podcast, talking to us about kind of like the world's on fire. What do we do now? We'll tell you a little bit more about that, but thank you so much for our sponsors and all that you're doing to make this season possible. Compassion Canada is back again for another season. Amazing people, an amazing team doing ministry through local churches around the world justice work for the sake of children. Uh, Just an amazing work. And actually in the coming number of weeks and months, I can't wait to tell you about a special project that we are working on together. So stay tuned for that. Also, thanks so much to The Church Go. They are a website building company and you've got to hear about them because I use them and recommend them all the time. So it's so fun for them to jump on the podcast as a sponsor this season. And hey, actually, Pastor Vijay Christian, who we're talking to today, his church website, thewell.ca is built on the church go. So more about them later. But in the meantime, if you haven't yet, check out our YouTube channel, tutorials, a whole backlog of podcasts, lots of good stuff coming at you um, now already up there, but coming into the new year, we'd love you to hit that subscribe button because more things are coming. We don't want you to miss them. They're all to help you, to help your church, to help resource you as a communications and creative person. Also, of course, that's why we have the Digital Church Facebook group. If you want to continue the conversation, you want to ask questions, you've got something you're stuck on as a leader trying to wrestle through digital church life, or maybe you have a job you want to post and have someone find out about, hey, we'd love for you to join the Digital Church Facebook group to find out more about that. So Vijay Krishnan, uh, he is the lead pastor of the Well Community Church. It's a group of churches kind of in the North Toronto area. He helped plant the church in 2005, but then later ended up becoming the lead pastor of the church. And so we're going to be talking about shepherding in this world on fire, kind of a time we're living in. Uh, How are we meant to get through this? What about mental health and being a pastor or a spiritual leader? How do we handle that? They've handled that most recently really well, I think, in his church community. And then also just in general, what are some biblical handles for leading through this kind of a time in history and in church history? So here is my conversation with Pastor Vijay Krishnan. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 7. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Vijay Krishnan, welcome to Word Made Digital. Thank you. So good to be with you, Joanna. I was saying before we hit record, you are a, um, a hard man to tie down. I'm sure you've got a thousand other things. So thanks for your time today. No problem. I just think I'm low capacity, so I just can only say yes to a few things. I don't know. I used to think I was high capacity. I don't know what COVID, COVID has done to me, but anyways. Well, maybe uh, with age comes some wisdom, right? Um, let's. I want to talk to you about that a little bit, but um, before we dive into it, can you give some context, who you are, what your ministry context is? Mm-hmm. I, um, 
am uh, a pastor of, I mean, vocationally, I'm a pastor. Um, as a human being, I'm a child of God. I uh, um, live and minister in the city where I grew up in, GTA, um, kind of born and raised. My parents are East Indian. Um, they were both both born in India, but I was I was born here. So my friends said growing up that I was white underneath. Um, I think to some degree I still am. I don't know what that means, but we go out for Indian food. We don't make it at home. Put it that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it just messes your kitchen up. It's too it's too complicated. So um, yeah, I've been pastoring uh, in the city for the last twelve years. For the eleven years before that, was doing kind of brand package goods marketing. Um, are, um, I've got three, um, boys, two of them are teenagers. One of them is 11, close to teenage life. And, um, yeah, I enjoy this stage of life and ministry with my wife, with the kids and also with our church. And, um, yeah, it's been, I think a complicated season to be a leader for sure. Um, to be a pastoral leader, I think as well. Um, so that's, you know, that's a unique thing in our churches. So we have three kind of small sites in three different boroughs of the GTA. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, even though it's been complicated, I love, I love being a pastor. <laughs> I love what I get to do. So, um, that's a great privilege. Well, hey, let's start with go backwards a little bit because you started your career in marketing and mm -hmm. um, there would be a bunch of people listening to the podcast who are in sort of creative fields of some kind. So how did you make that switch or is there a God story there? Like what happened to move you from uh, marketing consumer packaged goods to marketing Jesus or maybe that's a crash <laughs> of thing, but why the switch? <laughs> um yeah, I mean, I, I, it wasn't in the plan, put it that way, like in my plan anyways. I, um, I did a BCom as my undergrad and got into uh, packaged goods marketing. I loved marketing in general just because it was, I say, it's the people side of business. Um, although maybe that's not fair to oversimplify. But um, yeah, I loved the idea of creativity, branding, communication. Um, so worked in packaged goods for a while, then worked in, in retail marketing in the restaurant industry. Um, and at the same time was, was pretty involved in a local church. Um, that was kind of something I grew up with. My, my dad actually became a pastor when I was four and a half of the church that we were at. <clears throat> and so the church was such a, um, life-giving space and community for me. It's where, it's where I, I met, you know, longtime friends. It's where I was given opportunities to lead and figure out who I was. It was, um, it was family. And so, you know, I, whatever I did for a career, I knew I was going to be involved in a local church. And it so happened that the church that I was at decided they were going to plant in kind of a new borough in Toronto in the city of Vaughan. And I was just recently married and my wife and I, for, for whatever reason, just felt like we should be a part of that. Um, mm -hmm. and I was asked to lead the worship ministry there, like as a volunteer. And so I did that. And man, just as a group of people who were, we were all kind of young adults uh, and there was one sort of paid pastor and we were very motivated to try to create a space in a community where the people we worked with who we would say walked away from a Jesus they had never met because of the church in most cases, most of them mm -hmm. had some kind of religious background, um, that if we could create a space where not perfectly, but authentically, they would feel like, oh, I think maybe I could meet this Jesus. 
um, we were super motivated to try to create a space like that and do whatever we could. And um, so that was what drew me to being involved in that. And it was good, but man, you are leaving it all on the floor uh, by the time Sunday's done. And then you're going into work for like a 50, 60 hour work week. And I loved what I was doing, um, but I was found my mind and my heart constantly thinking about what we were building in this new faith mm-hmm. community. Um, to the point that three years in the planting pastor said, Hey, I think it's time for me to move on. He was sort of an entrepreneur, kind of a take the hill kind of guy. And he had done an amazing job in getting us off the ground. Um, but he was feeling it was time for him to move on. And he said, I think you should, I think you should become the pastor. And I was like, Oh, I don't know about that. And, you know, my wife and I had had some what if conversations in prior years, but I, my job had just kind of taken off at the time and I loved what I was doing. And it just felt like, um, I don't know. I, I thought, okay. So I just kind of prayed it out with the Lord and had to take all of the stuff I was afraid of. I was afraid of like failing. I was, we were still a fledgling church. Like I don't know what I was doing. Like I was not a pastor and studied to do this. So I was afraid of failing, afraid of wrecking people's lives. I was afraid of having my salary cut by 60%. And how was that going to work? And my wife was at home. We had just, we had two kids. And so it was just like, how's this all going to work? So I had to just kind of put that all on the table and say, Lord, I can't, these things can't really influence my decision because, you know, I, if I'm not, if I can't, if I'm not willing to fail, I can't say yes to this. If mm-hmm. I'm not willing to have to rely on you in new ways, I can't say yes. So that was kind of a purifying process. And by the end of it, I just, there was a number of conversations that just felt like it was like, yep, this is what we need to do. Wow. So... Yeah, it was a huge gift. I, like, I don't know how people become pastors of churches they're not a part of. I know everybody does, but that's hard. Like for us, it was like, oh, we knew this community already. We had been a part of shaping yeah. on the ground. We already had friends. And uh, so that was, I loved that part of it. Um, well, you know, and a lot of, a lot of pastors have the story of they were the worship leader uh, in a previous version of themselves. And then I think, you know, even like you'll talk to a 50 something, 60 something, and people are surprised because they never do that anymore. Right. But you hear this story over and over. And Danielle Strickland has this whole theory about why worship leaders make great preachers. (laughs) Oh, what's your theory? Um, but But I guess in brief, you know, out of your own, just out of your own reflection, what are some of the things that grew in you with the worship leading that then translated, you know, into this, um, this other role of leadership in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd say it was a combination. It was a combination of being a worship leader there, but even more so I would say I was part of this kind of lead team and you're thinking through every aspect of what it means to be the church when you start something new. You know, like you're, why are we going to do what we're doing? Are we just going to take what we, where we came from and just say, oh, we're going to reproduce that with a different brand name and a different part of the city. And it's like, no, like, so you start thinking about what does it mean to be the church and like, Mm -hmm. who are we trying to reach and what does it mean to reach them? And if we quote, reach them, what are we reaching them to, you know, or for, and how's the community growing as we do this? So I think having to think through every brick that we were laying in this kind of spiritual house um, made me realize like the senior pastor and I would butt heads a lot. 
And I would go home sometimes from our from our meetings and, and we're still good friends. It's not like a thing, but like I was thinking, why can't I just shut up? Like, why do I care so much about <laughs> things that have nothing to do with worship leading? Right. Like, why can't yeah. I stay in my lane? And I think he he would say that to me. He's like, why can't you stay in your lane? You know, like and that was part of a I think a little bit of a clue to a sense that I cared more about this. I didn't, it wasn't, I just, I saw the, what I was doing in a worship context as part of a bigger picture. And of course was really passionate about trying to reach the people I was working with and had gone to school with and all of that. Um, and I was like, all of this matters. It's all connected. Um, what even is the role of a Sunday morning gathering? Um, you, you, you ask all those questions when you're doing something new and, yeah the answers were complex and, but just the search was so important to me. And it was actually kind of a clue to like, I really believe in the local church, like clearly, um, I have a lot of opinions about how things should be, you know, (laughs) which now as a pastor, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I would have hated working with me, you know, like just, I was a thorn in his side, I'm sure, you know, but like there, there are things, yeah, you just start to think through it all. And why are we doing what we're doing? And how is this going to bring glory to Jesus? And how is this going to lead people to Jesus? And how are we going to be formed in the process? How are we going to become more like Jesus? Like, so, yeah, I think it was both those things. You're in front of the room on a weekly basis, but you're also in the back of the room, like in, in, in people's living rooms, sorting this stuff out. Um, I don't think I would have gone into ministry at all if I had stayed in our church or uh, at Rexdale. Hmm. Well, and, and that's your, I mean, that's your dad's, that was your dad's church mm-hmm. in Canada, prominent preacher, communicator. You come from this sort of family. So in some ways you, you were raised up in worship music, but you were actually raised up in like the profession of church. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had a front row seat to it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it is interesting that it makes sense you would have all these opinions <laughs> because <laughs> I guess you've so. been watching this happen your whole life. Uh <laughs> yeah, it's true, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You um, you made this comment when we first started the conversation around sort of you joked about capacity. Um, you thought of yourself in the past. I think most senior leaders or the, the leaders of a church would call themselves leader of anything. They're high, Usually a lot of people think of themselves as a high capacity person if they're in that kind of role. Hmm. Um, you know, from the VJ who took the job many years ago to the VJ now, mm-hmm. um, you've grown and changed. So on one level, do you think every leader decreases their capacity as they age? Is that just a sign of old, of of time? Or is that more like a piece of wisdom, spiritual practices in your life? Can mm. you unpack that a little bit for us? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that leading for any period of time like sort of beats the idealism out of you um you realize you know way less than you thought you knew um i think if if i'm heading in the right direction as a spiritual leader i am more comfortable with mystery than i used to be Hmm. which is mystery is is the threshold you cross into worship right mm-hmm. like if there's no mystery there's no worship um but that unsettles you a little bit in terms of 
You've seen enough to know that sometimes you're wrong about things. Often you're wrong about things. You've seen enough to know that like, um, the world is a hard place to live. Um, right. You've seen people suffer through things that have gone long past the point of no return long past the point of passion prayers for healing or intervention. So you've seen the reality of human suffering, I think, in a deeper way, in a more honest way. You've seen things you know now that you wish you knew then, but you just didn't know then. And you're a little Could bit haunted. Could you name any of those? I mean, <laughs> I mean, without, no, I mean like, you know, maybe that's a whole other cover. That's maybe a whole mm. other podcast. The things you know now you wish you knew then, but mm-hmm. um, maybe broadly, do you mean about yourself or about leading or all of, Jesus, all of the above? All yeah. Of all of the above. Like um, I know, I know um, a lot of people that have been listening to the, <clears throat> Uh, the Mars Hill, you know, kind of podcast. And what's interesting about it is it's, um, it's, it's, it's naming an an environment of church ministry and a way of thinking about church that was where, where I got my call to ministry from was in the kind of the church growth movement. And so there's things about that, that I've been listening to that even before the podcast, you're sort of sobered by and go, maybe my sense of what success looked like, how to measure it and all of that was not just different, but probably not actually, you know, grounded in what God values. So Mm. those, some of those things that are both about you as a person, right? Um, Like, I don't think you can listen to that podcast without having like being scared to hell, Uh, you know, like in the sense of going, oh my gosh, like, Uh, There's aspects of that in me as a person because I'm a part of this culture and this time of church history. And so I don't think you can listen to that without soberly kind of taking a hard look in your own life. Um, So some of it is you as a person, how you're wired. Some of it is how you conceive of what church is and success and numbers and all of this stuff. Um, so those are things that have changed. I would say like, for me, it's a difference now between health versus growth. I've realized, you know what? I don't, it's actually possible to grow and have unhealthy growth, but anything that's healthy grows. But how, like, you know, with right. my own kids, I don't get to decide whether they're going to be like, you know, they, a couple of them really like basketball. Well, I don't get to decide whether they're going to be six foot eight or whether they're going to be Sundar Krishna in size, you know, like, you know, five foot, you know, dynamo. I don't, that's not my job actually as a parent to say, well, I really need to make sure my kid grows to this height. No, I'm supposed to create an environment of health in which they can grow and become whoever it is that God, you know, <laughs> enables them to be. And I think that's, that's been a shift for me of like going, no, health is more important than growth. And how do you measure health? And it's interesting, Pat Lencioni in his book, The Advantage, says um, leaders don't, they all know that health is more important than what he called smarts on the other side of the ledger. But he said they think that you can't measure health, so therefore they just deal with smarts. And I would say that's true in terms of growth, too, or to apply it to you know, pastoral ministry or ministry contexts, numbers, giving, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those are all the growth side of things that you can measure, but that isn't necessarily health. Um, how, what is health, you know? Um, so I would say 
like having a more robust understanding of spiritual maturity and therefore community maturity, uh, mm-hmm. that has been slowly been, and some of that growth is just undoing, uh, like undoing some ideas. I mean, I, I don't have the answers yet of what it all looks like, but I just know it's not that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that, that's been a big one, that trajectory, which both is about a personal thing in terms of like maturity being about my personal, emotional, spiritual health um, and my leadership health. And then how does a community gr- um, focus on health as opposed to growth? So the, the, that'd be a kind of a meta theme, like you said, probably a several podcast episodes worth of stuff uh, to, to unpack on that front. But that'd be a big shift for sure. Um, yeah. and I would say like, uh, can I keep going or do you want me to? Yeah, please do. No, please keep going. Keep going. Like, I think early on I was so, you know, I got the call in a ministry kind of through the church growth, kind of the Willow Creek leadership summits used to just turn my world upside down. Like I'd go there and I'd think, no, the local church is the hope of the world. I totally believe it. <laughs> you know, I would, I would, you know, um, so you get, you get called into that, but then. At first it was like, okay, God had to wean me off of wanting to be like another leader or another pastor or another preacher and just learn to be myself, you know, who he had called me to be. Then he had to wean me off of like wanting another church's vision or success or whatever, and just actually wanting what God had for our community. Then he had to wean me off of wanting another church or whatever. And not that I didn't like our church, but like when you, when you're trying to grow or when you're young or small, you're always like, oh, I wish we could be like that. Oh, you hear this community is doing that. And you're like, oh, I wish he had to wean me off of that to say, to, to really, and I don't mean it was an intellectual thing. I mean, in my heart to really be at peace with who I was and accept even my limitations as a leader to really be at peace with his plan for our church and not my idea of what a perfect church is. And then to really love the people I was actually pastoring in with and not the idea of what they could be or should be, you know, um, those were all progressive movements of what I would call sanity and peace and health. Like, bring me to this place where I can say to you now, I love my church. I don't want to be with another community of people. I love this group of people. And I'm not, I'm just not naive about who they are and all, all the warts and all that they have, but I love them. I love myself as a leader, even though there's things about me, my, me that drive me crazy that I wish were different or better or more capable. I do feel like I'm, I'm okay to be at peace with who God has made me to be. And I really just want his vision for what it looks like to be a faithful presence and fruitful presence of the kingdom of God in the places where we are. That's all I want. And so I feel like that feels good. Okay, my friends, December is officially upon us. Christmas music is blasting in my house many days of the week. What about yours? I don't know if you're into the Christmas music or maybe you don't even want to put up a tree this year, but uh, Christmas is coming whether you want it or not. And I want to talk to you about the gifts of compassion gift guide because every year compassion canada launches a gift guide in the lead up to christmas and you you can give to it now but you can i guess you could give to it all year long if you want it's always going to be available but if you're looking for something for your techie uncle or maybe that sibling that has everything or your dad you have no idea what to buy for your dad because he doesn't want anything or maybe 
so yeah, maybe you want to get something around financial literacy or maybe you want mosquito nets or a water well or maybe you want to do fishery training or carpentry workshops of course you can always get goats or chickens or pigs there's seed gifts there's gifts from all kinds of directions that i think will suit the personality and hobbies of someone in your life so uh check out the gifts that go and I want you to go to compassion.ca slash shop today so sorry that's talking about I resonate with there's some some yeses and amens in my own story my own journey of of finding an okayness with who I am what God's called me to be you know the comparison thing Mm. it can be so toxic but maybe it's the maybe it's sort of an ironic question in light of you talking about uh the the slow growth or slow way to success and fruitfulness Mm. Um, but is there a fast way to get there? What I mean is, if you're looking at the 25-year-old leader, mm-hmm. is there a faster way to get them from those kinds of things to the, the 40-year-old version of themselves? Or mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how old, how old you are, VJ, but you know what I mean, the older version mm-hmm. um, of themselves. Do you think it just it will always take time? Or do you think we can help people? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, yes and no, for sure. I think there's just a time, you know, like it's in the way that I would look at and admire some older leaders and I go, okay, I want to be like that, but I know it's just going to take some time to get there. But when I listen to them, they have wisdom that I go, okay, it helps me sort of go, where am I pointing, um, Myself. So just as an example, a very specific one, I was listening to uh, Gordon McDonald on Karen Newhoff's podcast, and it was about an hour and a half. And he's in his 80s and is led in very many different ways. Um, he said something in that moment about, you know, when you're a, uh, something about he wished that he had stepped out of the lead chair earlier. He said, when I was 55 and you're saying stuff as a leader, the younger people in the room are kind of rolling their eyes, but they still really trust you and believe in you and they're laughing and they're with you. He said, when you're 65, they're kind of rolling their eyes going, man, when are you going to move over and let us, you know, make some decisions and things like that? Or we don't really think like that anymore. So I just remember thinking, okay, I'm 45. That means I got 10 years. I don't think I should be the lead pastor of our church anymore after 10 years, even though I, I want to stay here, like bury me here. I love it. But I don't think I should be that person anymore. So that just helped me go, okay, that, that changes how I think about where I'm at now and what it means to lead well for the next 10 years. Mm. Um, and I'm not fixed on the number. It's just more the idea of it that kind of lodged itself to me. So, okay, on the one hand, I'm listening to him with such a sense, he's got such a richness of wisdom and life experience and peace and, you know, um, I, I can't be that cause I just, you got to live it. On the other hand, listening to people like that, like it does shift your, the goalposts. It helps you change what right. you think. So I think for a younger leader who's 25, I would want to say to them, think long and hard about what your measurements of success really you think they are as a person, as a leader, what you're trying to do. And the sooner you surrender those to God and allow him to shape and reshape those, the better. Um, That would be one thing I would say. You can do that now. Um, Secondly, I would say, 
um, I wish I led with more humility um, mm. then because I just wish I had known how much I didn't know. And um, I think being more humble would have made me listen more than talk more. It would have made me uh, ask for help more. It would have made me okay a little bit more with failure and criticism. You know, I was too defensive when I was a younger leader. <clears throat> so much more comfortable, not all the way there, but much more comfortable with criticism now because I kind of know that I make all kinds of mistakes and actually I'm meant to learn from them and God has gifts for me in those things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess there are some things I think you can, and how you think about what it means for where you're going. Um, but there's another sense in which you, your own story, like you have to live through the pain of your own failures. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, my spiritual director said to me once when I was, I was debriefing a situation where I felt like I had just really screwed up as a leader. And I said, why didn't I make that call in the moment? And he said to me, well, because, well, he said, well, you'll never do that again. And I said, well, that's not helpful. And he said, no, he said, <laughs> he said, he said, you now right in this moment are feeling the pain of the decision that you made. Now you will see that pain coming from a long way off the next time. And you will know in the moment what you need to do. So he right. was kind of saying, you can't really can't accelerate that learning. No. And he's like, you can't, he said a mentor of his kind of stopped meeting with him when he was 25. Cause he said to him, Hey, you've kind of tapped out here in terms of what I can give you. Cause you haven't lived through enough pain. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> you know? And so it just like, there is just an, a sense in which you got to go through it. And yeah. I think knowing that it's coming is the only thing you can accept, which I think yeah. does make you humble is going, yep. I resonate with that VJ as I think of 25 year old Joe me. Hmm. Um, and I had a therapist in the, in that sort of mid twenties era of my life, talk about the ministry pastoral role I was in and their assessment was essentially, um, you're given the job description that is more like for a 45 year old, <laughs> but you're only 25. So in some ways it's not like what's wrong with you. It's that like, there's no way you could have the skill set and experience and even like the emotional maturity. So if um, a difficult thing happens in the church community at 25, you, it's the first time you're seeing, um, I don't know, a marriage breakup because of adultery and you carry the pain and the sadness and the grief of that dynamic for the people you love as a pastor. Um, but at 45, you've probably seen it a few times, mm -hmm. as sad as it is, uh, mm -hmm. you carry it differently because mm -hmm. you've just gone through it a few times mm -hmm. before. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And now, I don't know, this is me getting old because now I'm looking at, you know, I think of uh, a 25-year-old, me, a 25-year-old, anybody, you, a 25-year-old, anybody. I'm like, who would give this person a church? They 100%. don't know anything. <laughs> but people do. And, like, there's such grace from senior people in all of our lives that said, we're going to give this to you, this leadership role, even though you don't know all the things. Yeah, but I think that's a good, it's a good question for, let's say, more seasoned leaders to ponder is yeah. how are we developing younger leaders? What are we asking them to do? 
um, how are we creating environments that are going to not just have a big safety net, but like help them grow in that and not expect them to deliver on a, you know, like you said, a job description that suits a 45 year old with 20 years of ministry experience. Like how do we, how do we help them? Yeah. Well, and, and the story of the Mark Driscoll tale as the example, we all know we either were or know Mark Driscoll like people, Mm -hmm. sadly, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, pieces of the story. Uh, he was a young guy and was given a huge amount of authority um, and power and uh, money and responsibility Mm -hmm. that even he himself at the time, it seems to have been that he was sort of acknowledging like, oh gosh, I'm in over my head. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, let's talk, turning in a different direction because mm-hmm. um, we can't solve all these problems. <laughs> but um, I'm curious to, about a conversation with you around mental health and pastoring. Um, there's someone on your team who, you know, publicly had, you know, they talked about having to leave their job to, to care for their own mental health. Um, just as another touch point, again, of like the things I don't think we were talking about 10, 20 years ago in the way mm-hmm. we're talking about it now. Um yeah, so just as an, a broad, open question for you, um, mental health and pastoring, um, how do you navigate that? How do you care for that? Mm-hmm. I think that... I think that the pastoral role, like, okay, everybody's life is difficult and challenging in different ways. So this is not to say that, oh, there's more mental health issues in pastoring or whatever. But I think what's complicated is, you know, um, this is a role where we say, in the best sense of the, of the word, oh, you are ministering out of your inner life, right? Like, mm. this isn't a job with tasks you just Pour do. out. No, you, it is from within. Like that's, that's how it's supposed to be. Right. So you preach out of your own encounter with Jesus. You lead worship from where you can see Jesus. You, um, you disciple others and you share with them your, you share the God life that you have, uh, with them, with God, right? Jesus told John 15, remain in me. Like my words remain in you, you bear fruit. That's, this is the life. Um, and as a pastor, all we're doing is trying to model that for people. So fine. But when that inner life, apart from like, you know, not issues of sin, right? Like it's not about like, you know, if it's one thing if you're hiding sin or addictions and all this kind of stuff, it's like, okay, you got to find ways to be real with people. But I do think that's part of it is going like, Pastors struggle with knowing, well, who, who do I talk to about what's going on in my inner world? You know, whether it is a sin issue, an addiction issue, or just some, something that is unsettling you, or whether there's a darkness in your soul that you can't explain, um, you can't just keep doing the job. Um, but what you're going through doesn't disqualify you from doing the job, right? So, um, so there's that tension, um, you have to be processing with it. Some things I can be vulnerable about with my congregation from the front of the room, quote, on the internet, on the podcast. And there is 
a need for that and more of that, I think, because people just assume that we're okay and we're not Mm -hmm. in terms of, or that we don't struggle, which is just foolishness. But there's just that divide that exists in the role itself, regardless of who you are or anything. People, there's distance. And so we just have to change that and say, no, I'm with you. I'm struggling with you. That's important. But there are some things that are not appropriate either for you or for your congregation to just process with them from the front of the room. Um, And so who do you process that stuff with? Um, Whether it's something like, uh, you know, you can li- go back and listen to one of the sermons that one of my colleagues, as you referenced, preached. And it was just, there was a beautiful moment where, you know, he was just authentic about his struggle. We happened to be, and we were preaching through a series, um, you know, on this stuff. And he preached a beautiful message that uh, was just authentically acknowledging his own struggle in that. And what that did was it just named and affirmed the struggle for many other people and also brought the community around him to say he was in that moment. He wasn't going to go through it alone. Um, that was amazing. There's other things in other times where you, know, you don't feel comfortable doing that, or you're in a church where you don't, maybe you don't trust the people enough to do that, or you don't know, you don't even know how to name what you're going through. Um, or how, what you're going through, is it, it's not about being disqualified, but is this something I really shouldn't be pastoring through or just pushing through, especially since I'm in a role where I can't just show up and do the stuff. This is about what's going on in my inner life overflowing into the fruitfulness of my public life. So I think that by itself makes it complicated to sort through that um, as a as a leader in a community, especially if you have an upfront kind of role in that. Yeah. Um, but I think on the other hand, like, these things should not be foreign or strange or in one sense dissonant with our life with God. I mean, if you read the Psalms, um, David is processing, and not just David, it was um, several of the writers. This was the prayer book of the people of God. And part of the prayer book, the stuff they sang together, there's songs of lament in there. There's what they call the imprecatory Psalms, which are the Psalms of vengeance, you know, um, these were public songs that they shared as a community and we don't have those. I mean, I know it would, I, I, you know, my worship career, uh, a leader as a, a career as a worship leader would fail or as a songwriter, if I started writing all of the imprecatory songs Revenge or songs, yeah. totally, but why are we leaving those to Alicia Carr and whoever else is writing those in pop culture? Yeah. Like they're honest, like saying, this is how I feel. This is, you know, like, um, we don't sing those songs. We all the songs. I'm concerned at some level because all the songs are about victory, 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 and it's like, yeah, of course, like we worship uh, the, a savior who left a grave behind, but like, but we live between the cross and the grave, and we also like this world is full of sorrow and brokenness and what we'd quote say unanswered prayers. Where are our songs? Where do we process this publicly as a community? Well, certainly it seems the scriptures give us permission to do that. And not just permission, but direction, right? So pop culture gives us permission. Hey, say whatever you want, you know, be honest about, but we need direction too. Like, where do we go with this stuff rather than just expressing it as an end in itself? And the Psalms are just one collection of writings that give us both permission and direction. So I think some of this is like, 
this is part of our life. St. John of the Cross talked about the dark night of the soul and, you know, those kinds of seasons. Mother Teresa is really famous for identifying that season in her own ministry life, where for 50 years she said she didn't hear from God. 50 years of her ministry life. Um, one of, if we would not say, you know, one of the most holy people ever walked the face of the earth, you know. Right. Um, so so this this... It's hard to be a pastor when you're processing this stuff, but it shouldn't be foreign to our experience as Christians um, and as Christian leaders. So I do think there's just so much for us to learn, not just about what mental health is, but the, the multifaceted nature of it and how it plays itself out in different ways. And what does it mean to be a community and people who saying, yeah, we are broken mentally, just like our bodies break down and get injured. And sometimes we can explain why, and sometimes we can't. This is a part of the human experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I can think of, of friends who come from those sort of the happy, clappy church, you know, the Pentecostals maybe, or, you know, whatever category, it doesn't matter what denomination, but churches that were unable or unwilling to, their, to grapple with pain. And so when you're going through pain or loss and all the songs, as you say, like people who's like, I can't go to church because they're just going to sing all these like victory songs. Mm -hmm. And that is not my reality. And so mm. every time it feels like I'm being punched in the gut um, because there's no space. Not that we can't sing a victory song, but there's no space for other mm. emotions. Um, and so they just aren't in church because there hasn't been a space in their experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that's always a fair thing to say, because there are churches that create those spaces. Um, but there are many who, yeah, we could do a better job. We don't, it's it's true. Like when, we, when we're feeling certain emotions, we turn on certain music, maybe, or we want to like, you know, I don't know, you want your Sarah McLaughlin or whatever. <laughs> if you're feeling sad, you want to feel all your feelings with your favorite sad artist, mm -hmm. but there aren't a lot of, um, Christian responses to it, which I do agree is, mm. is, um, a challenge. And then as you say, the compl it's complicated. Um, you know, when, when is it time as a leader to say, I'm not well, I mm. need a break from this, mm -hmm. um, versus actually I can lead out of my own authentic brokenness versus I need a break yeah. or I need to stop completely. When I think yeah. that's the extremes we need to avoid of saying, I'm not just going to stuff this down and keep on leading, but neither am I going to say quickly, oh, this disqualifies me from leading. Right. You know, there's a place in between those things to be wrestled through. And you know, I, I think what I appreciate about the person on our staff who went through, like I said, they included the congregation in the journey, but also included their team and realized it wasn't their decision alone to make. Like, in the sense that, and I know that sounds very like, um, people would be like, oh, well, of course it's their decision, you can't make people do it. And it's like, no, no, I don't mean that. What I mean is, like, we shouldn't have to make those decisions alone. Mm -hmm. um, and when we're if you're a, a leader in a faith committee, you're part of a body. Um, so you don't just dismember yourself, you know, right. you, you work through it together and you come to a place of, which in the end we did, you know, came to a place of uh, agreement and peace saying, okay, this just seems to be what is best for this person right now. 
and as hard as it was for us to see him step out of that role because when you ask anyone on our staff team now we're like man we miss him still you know um his family's still part of the church so that's beautiful you know but in terms of even his unique role in the staff we we miss that so your heart aches still you know it's not what we wanted (laughs) but we understood no this is what god you know this is best for this person and so i was so, so thankful for the journey um that he invited us on and that the church was able to go on together. Yeah. I mean, it feels like not just on a personal level, like especially the last couple of years of life, hard to believe now we're saying it's a couple of years, COVID. We had no, none of, we were all so naive in uh, March, 2020, but um, so not just on an individual level, but really corporately, I think, uh, you know, the, that's the underlying theme of this whole podcast series has been the world is on fire. What do we do now? Where do we mm. go from here? And so I think that's my, my question to you. Um, where do we go from here? Because there's not just our own personal growth and maturity that's happening. There's not just our own personal mental health or, or the health of us as an individual, but we're a body, as you've said. Um, and the world that we do ministry in has changed. And I think there's a lot of grief there, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of closures of churches are, are happening or will happen, uh, especially small church plant style churches. I mean, you right before COVID, you know, just in context, um, you know, you were launching a new location. I'm, you know, like, when do you open? When do you close? You know, all this kind of stuff. So um, it plays out in your community, but it also is playing out across, you know, the church. Um, I'd love for your sense on what, you know, in your prayer life, in your observation, and then of course, what's happening in your own community. Like where, (laughs) where do we go from here? (laughs) Mm -hmm. What are some of the biblical handles as we lead through this? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the broader biblical names for this season, even prior to COVID, um, is exile, um, Mm -hmm. And this, there's been a few writers who have unpacked this over the last couple of decades. Um, and it's really naming like what, like as a post-Christendom, post-Christian context. Um, if you think about the biblical story of the people of God in Babylon, um, they were in an environment that was not home, where all of the markers of what was familiar and comfortable were gone where there was enough chaos and violence and destruction in the world to make them believe that God wasn't with them anymore because the temple was destroyed and that's where God lived. So if the temple is destroyed and, and is, if they're not in Jerusalem and the temple is destroyed, then God doesn't live there and they're not where God is. Yeah. Uh, then they're in a culture that is actively trying to brainwash them and... Uh, expel from their consciousness their unique ethnic, religious, and cultural identity and make them become Babylonians. Um, and so the culture did not was not interested in their beliefs, thought they were foolish or uh, dangerous or evil, and was working to actively get rid of those things. And... Um, and the people are, you know, hanging out by the river, not wanting to be there. 
distraught, traumatized, understandably so, right? They'd been, they'd seen their temple destroyed, their city destroyed, some of their loved ones killed, they've been deported, exported, whatever you want to say, and were under the rule of, a, you know, probably the most um, maniacal leader the world has ever known, like history, Nebuchadnezzar goes down at like near the top of the list of one of the craziest leaders, you know, on the face of the earth. And the prophets were telling them, don't worry, this will end soon. God's going to come save you out of this. You won't have to live through this, all this stuff. And what does Jeremiah say? Before he says the verse that we put on coffee mugs and now tattoos, like, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, blah, blah, blah. Before he (laughs) says that to them, he says, you know, um, make this place home and love this city. And I think that's incredibly insightful. And it was, it was groundbreaking for them in one sense, or, or uh, it was a game changer. Like, basically, God was with them in Babylon. He wasn't stuck in Jerusalem. He said, I carried you here. And there's this interesting phrase in Jeremiah 29, to the exiles that Nebuchadnezzar carried into Babylon... I, the Lord Almighty, when I carried you into Babylon, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, you think your life or life is in the hands of this crazy person. But it's not. It's in my hands. And I'm here with you. And this is a place, though, all of the markers of what's familiar and comfortable are gone, can still be home. And you can thrive here. And generationally, you can thrive here. That was the whole, like, you know, find find husbands, wives, blah, 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 put down roots. Is saying, this isn't going to happen quickly. You can still encounter me here. And by the way, love this community. Love these people that you think are your enemies. Um, because your welfare is now bound up in theirs. And I just think that is where we need to be. Like, um I was listening to John Tyson the other day. He was talking about prayer. And he said, when we forget that our battle is against, not against flesh and blood, we will make demons of other people. We will demonize other people. um, Mm. And they will become the enemy. And I think in many ways, the church or some parts of the church have done that. They've made other parts of the church, the demons, the enemies. They've made the LGBTQ2 plus community, the enemy. They've made progressive, you know, Christianity, the enemy. They've made liberalism, the enemy. They've made conservatism, the enemy. They've made this political party, the enemy. They've demonized people and now have made our battle against them. It's like, no, our battle's not against other people. It's for people. We fight for them, not against them. And we meant to love, and for them to love Babylon, Right? They would have been like, what? Like, God, didn't you see what they're doing? What they did? Whatever. And it's just like, that's a whole different. And I think that's where we find ourselves. Where, you know, we're not the, the, the markers of what used to be familiar for us. Even, like you said, the last two years, like so much of that has gone. But even that, this was happening before. You know, the markers yeah, of. It's, accel- in, it's accelerated. But it's it accelerated. It. Yeah. Uh, of institutionalized Christianity, of culture of Christianity, or whatever. It's long gone. And I actually think there's lots of it that I'm glad it's gone. There was lots of it that was not good, you know, and we idolize the past or where we came from and we forget that it had its own version of toxicity and brokenness. And some of it's just coming to bear now is, is the church has been called to account for some of that historically. 
um, which is good. Um, so I, I think like exile is a way to name one of the, the season we're in and that it is possible to thrive from the margins when you are a minority in a place that feels like not like home where, where you struggle to see God's presence and the culture seems ambivalent at best or hostile at worst to what you think and believe. Um, it's possible. And so I think that's a big one and it's not new. Jumping into the conversation with BJ because I want to talk to you about The Church Co. and thechurchco.com. This episode is brought to you by The Church Co. And if you don't know about them, you've got to check them out. They actually have built BJ Christian's church's website, thewell.ca, if you want to check out um, uh, what, what the platform can look and feel like for a local church. They're literally building people's websites for free. You sign up, you choose a plan, and then they have a team of web designers who build you a website at no additional charge. You don't pay for the website to be built. So you might already have a website, but honestly, their sites look as good, if not better, than the sites that can cost thousands of dollars. And they have a ton of unique features that are specifically for churches like church online, CHMS integrations, digital prayer, small groups, events, sermons, and a ton more things that are church-specific builds. The best part is the price, in my opinion. They do all this for $29 a month. So right now they're offering our listeners 20% off on your first year if you use the code digital, as in word made digital. Honestly, it's a no-brainer. Find out more at thechurchcode.com and don't forget to use the discount code digital to save 20%. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking what it's leading me maybe as a last question I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking of that 25-year-old leader who's starting out. And I think some of the um, the skills that we looked for in that kind of a leader um, have maybe shifted. Some of it is literal skills, like you have to uh, know technology. Like that's a, a very hard skill. You have to understand how to navigate some of these technical things mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, when people were starting, I, I feel for the feel for the guys who were at the end of their, their ministry work and having to, to learn a whole new way. Um, but beyond the hard skills, there's soft skills too. Um, so maybe just as a um, encouragement to people who are those younger leaders, what are some of the skills you would want to cultivate? Like if the previous leader had to be the upfront charismatic communicator and not that mm. there isn't a place for that person, um, but what are some of the markers you think will, will help shepherd our people um, in the next number of years mm-hmm. that a 25 year old could um, identify in themselves or cultivate in themselves. Yeah. I think like learning to become a really good listener and related to that, like learning how to ask really good questions. Um, that sounds simple you know, or basic, I guess, but I'm shocked at how few questions people ask. Mm. Like my wife and I will even say, we'll go to a party or whatever. And we'll sometimes compare notes, and that's not fair, but like we'll say, did anyone ask you a single question about yourself? We'll say no, like, yeah. but I know, I know so many things about people in that room. <laughs> I know their stories and other whatever. And I'm just like, I, I think people are so distracted 
so self-absorbed or so insecure that they don't know the people that they're around them and they don't know what they're going through and they don't know what the world is like really around them. And so I, I think it's actually just a really good life skill to ask questions um, and genuinely be curious about who people are or what you're going through, whether that means you're meeting somebody, you know, in a congregation or a space and you just get to know them by asking good questions and really listening. Or when you're in the room and you're discussing something and someone says something that you don't agree with, to genuinely be curious about their view and say, oh, why do you think that, you know? Um, and ask another question and another one and another one. Because I realized, talk about before, about what you wish you knew now. Like, I didn't know. I just assumed I knew. And if I would ask one question, I'd go, oh, yeah, that fits into this picture I've made in my head about what's going on in this situation or why you would have that opinion or where you're coming. It's like, I don't know that. Ask questions, you know. Um, so I think that's, a, that's not just an interpersonal life skill. It's a great leadership skill. Um, <clears throat> because the more you know people, where they're really at, what their motivations are, what they care about, and you know what's going on in the world. They say that even from a, if you want to be purely mechanistic about it, they say even in great... In negotiations, great negotiators ask lots of questions. They try to get as much information from the other party they're negotiating with as possible because then they understand who they are, what they're motivated. The classic sort of example from getting to yes, you know, that book on negotiations is two people are fighting over an orange, but nobody stops to ask why the other person wants it. One wants the rind, the other one wants the pulp, but nobody stopped long enough to say, why is this so important to you? Those are things, that's a life skill. Ask questions, yeah. be a learner, you know. I think that's one. Um, I think another one is, I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, but like um, adaptability. Um, because the world is just constantly changing and you learn by doing um, uh, Heifetz and Linsky in their book Leadership on the Line talked about the difference between technical problems and adaptive problems. Technical problems are ones where the solution exists in the system or in the room itself and you just need enough expertise to try to figure it out and apply the solution. They said adaptive problems are where the solution doesn't exist within what you're dealing with. It's not readily apparent and you may not know whether it's a skill thing or something else. So you actually have to apply uh, an iterative process of learning as you're going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what they say about AI, right? AI is adaptive technology. It learns more about you as it's going, as you're interacting with it. And it's able to, I think we kind of need to be like that as leaders, which means we hold things loosely. We're like, okay, have this idea. Let's go down the road with this. We're going to learn some stuff, right? We're going to be, and that really comes back to the health thing. That comes from not being afraid to fail. And knowing you're probably going to get it wrong. I don't expect to, you know, um, to know. We're probably wrong. Let's go find out why <laughs> by trying to right. do this. Yeah. I, I think that's, a, that's another one. And I think the listening, asking questions is actually a component of what it means to be adaptive. <clears throat> so as we close the conversation here today, um, there's a lot that's been said. There's kind of... Um, some tweetable moments, but also I think just some really 
interesting insight from your ministry, um, from your perspective as a as a pastor who's been around, you know, been around the block a few times. I would love for you to just close us in. Could you pray for people who are listening, hmm. um, people who are in ministry and who are listening, whether that's paid or not? Um, maybe there are people who are thinking about going into paid ministry. Maybe there are people who need to get out of it. Uh, maybe, but the rest of us, we're, you know, we're just um, trying to to chug along and be fruitful for the kingdom. I would love if you could just be a pastor to us and, and pray for people listening. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to take a moment just to listen and then, then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, my mind goes to the conversation you had with your disciples um, the night before you died. Um, In that small room with uh, just your inner circle. So many things happened in that conversation. You began by washing their feet. And so we just thank you, first of all, for the fact that you are the God who is among us as a servant. Who, who literally gets down low to help us, to lift us up. And so I pray that even now <clears throat> leaders would feel just that <clears throat> the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are still willing to serve us, to lift us up. It's, it's just mind-blowing that that's the kind of God you are. And then you said to your disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so we just pray that you would speak peace to the troubled hearts because of complicated decisions, because of toxic situations, because of painful or just difficult circumstances, that you would, we would hear your voice saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust me, trust me. Then you said to them, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. And so, Lord, speak to those of us that have been striving and trying in our own strength just to do things our own way and help us reconnect to you and your words as the true vine. And then you said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so I just pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit in each person listening through their body, mind, and soul, would be so filled with your presence, not just at an experiential level, but a spirit that leads into truth, that provides wisdom, that gives energy and power to do the work, that gives the reminder of the abiding presence of Jesus wherever we go. Even when we are alone, we are never alone. We are with you through your spirit. You are with us. So Holy Spirit, just fill each person. Help us to be people, Lord, that in the days and weeks to come have lives that bear fruit. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Vijay.
VJ Krishnan, thank you so much for that conversation. Always so fun and rich to have a conversation with him. Next week on the podcast, we are talking to Christina Crook, who Harper's Bazaar called, I love this, the Marie Kondo of digital. So she's going to increase how we have joy in our digital life. We want more joy. If it does not give you joy, throw it away, get rid of it. And I think you're going to love this conversation with this author, speaker, uh, guru, you could say around our mental and digital health and how they connect to one another. So thank you so much to our sponsors. Compassion Canada, amazing people doing justice work for children around the world through the local church and The Church Co., a website building company you've got to hear about, you've got to check out, and we have a discount code for you in the show notes if you want to use them. So of course, always you can find us in the Digital Church Digital Church Facebook group. You can find us in our YouTube channel. You can find us on Instagram, all things Word Made Digital. We would love to see you there and see you back next week with Christina Kirk. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world. 